All right, if y'all would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 will be in verses 21 to 35 tonight. As you're turning there, uh, I remember one of my earlier memories from elementary school when I'd gone out to a friend's farmland for a birthday party, and during our time there, uh, we were out, out in the country, and so there's a lot of bugs and everything out there, but one of my buddies was bitten by a tick, and it had lodged deeply in his leg. Obviously, you want to get tick bites uh, or ticks out of your leg, or else there can be illness, diseases, things like that. And so in order to get the tick out, one of the dads who was there decided to heat up a fork over the gas stove until it was literally glowing. And as this dad moved towards him with this glowing, burning fork, another dad was holding him there while all of our friends were around ready to watch this guy's pain. And as that fork got so close and it, and it stung the backside of this tick it had backed out and I think it is interesting because when we feel like when people bite and devour us or when people hurt us don't we often like to see them get burned don't we often like to see people get it whenever they've done something against us the question tonight is before we look at this text is this why is it so hard to forgive people Why is it so hard to let go of a wrong that has been done to us rather than just burn them? Why is it so hard to remember someone's sin against us no more? Why is it so hard to treat someone as if they've never sinned? With that in mind, let me read Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and and I forgive him? Is it as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him that debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the original master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, 
my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are asking that you would yet again help us to hear your word. Your word that creates and recreates. And we're asking that as the word is preached, that we would hear you, that that you might prick our conscience, that you might search our hearts, that you might examine our lives, expose what we really are. Father, we will be like Adam and Eve and we will see that we are naked and afraid and we have nothing to offer you, but rather we stand in our sin. But yet, we know that you are the same God who clothes us with the righteousness of your Son. So help us to see Jesus. Help us to see Him and to to know His love for us, to know His work on our behalf. Lord Jesus, by Your Spirit, only You can do this work. So help us to hear You. We ask all this in Your name. Amen. A traveler was making his way through a jungle in Burma with a guide and They came to a shallow, wide river, and they had waded through it to the other side. And when the traveler came out of the river, numerous leeches were on his torso and legs. And his first instinct instinct was to grab them and rip them off, but the guide stopped him. He was warning him, and he was saying that if you do that, it will leave tiny pieces of leeches under the skin which will eventually uh, cause infection. It's a pretty sight, isn't it? Here's what one person says in light of that. When we've been hurt by another person, we cannot simply yank the injury from ourselves and expect that all bitterness, malice, and emotion will be gone. Resentment often hides underneath the surface. Why is it so hard to forgive people? Even when we might tell someone we forgive them, why is it so hard to actually forgive them from the heart? In the context here of Matthew 18, just before this, Jesus had described what's called the office of the keys. And he had told uh, his disciples, he said, look, verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he's talking about with this thing called church discipline. And, and actually, if, if there needs to be discipline executed here, then it needs to be executed there. And if they forgive sins here, then it's forgiven there. As it is on earth, so it is in heaven. And so Peter's kind of excited about this. And he's thinking about how amazing it is that there's the forgiveness of sins. And that it's not their own authority, but they declare it on behalf of Christ. And so Peter asked Jesus, he says, well, how many times should we forgive people? Seven times? Now, you know, the number seven in, uh, in, in Jewish culture, in Hebrew language, it is a number that represents completeness. So Peter's saying, should we just forgive people completely? That sounds great, doesn't it? But Jesus responds with saying, you should not only forgive people completely, you should forgive them with an infinite completeness. In other words, Jesus is saying you should forgive people in an unlimited manner. We don't really like that. 
One person says, although Jewish tradition valued forgiveness, some teachers back then, they only allowed three occasions for deliberate sin since they doubted the offender's sincerity beyond that point. We're much more comfortable with that type. Just give people three strikes and then you're out. You know, we're not very comfortable when Jesus says, hey, you must have unlimited forgiveness for people. But see, the type of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about in this text is this. There's no more scorekeeping. There's no more keeping tallies of, well, I've forgiven this person this many times and they keep sinning and I'm not going to forgive them anymore because I haven't sinned against them that many times. But they sinned against me so many times. But when Jesus says in verse 22 that you should forgive someone 77 times, here's what he's doing. He's referring back to Genesis 4.24 where it says, If Cain, y'all remember the story of Cain and Abel, Cain murdered his brother, so not good. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is avenged 77 times. In other words, what's happening here is that in the entrance of sin into the world, you also saw unlimited revenge. But Jesus is reversing that. Instead of having unlimited revenge and just having revenge 77 times, you know, infinite completeness. He is saying, rather, you must forgive 77 times. Why is it so hard to forgive people? I think there's three reasons why it's hard to forgive people. The first one is this. It's hard to forgive people because we fail to understand how much we've been forgiven. If you are a believer... The reality of the Christian life is that it is so difficult to know how much you've been forgiven. Matter of fact, that's going to be part of the journey of eternity in heaven of understanding how incredible God's forgiveness for you is. You see back in verses 23 to 37, really this parable is divided up into three different scenes. You see the first scene here with the original master and the servant. The master has all these accounts he wants to settle and he verse 25 and oh excuse me verse 24 and when he began to settle one of them was brought to uh the original master and this guy owed him ten thousand talents i'll explain what that is in just a second and since he couldn't pay his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all that he had in payment to be made so the servant fell on his knees imploring him having saying have patience with me and i will pay you everything And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. I had a student one time in youth ministry who said this. If I really want to understand God's grace, I need to have a testimony. Now, in her words, when she said, I need to have a testimony, what she was talking about is that she needed to go and sin some big sins so that way she could really know God's forgiveness. But actually, the problem for her to, or really... The barrier for her to know God's grace or to have a testimony, the barrier was not you need big sins. The barrier was she didn't realize how big her sins already were. You see, that's actually part of the problem with us is that when we do not understand our sin, when we do not understand God's law, then we do not understand how gracious his grace is. If you water down the law, If you water down sin, you water down grace. Right? How bad is this guy's debt? 
When it said that he owed 10,000 talents, maybe some of you have a footnote uh, in your Bible there. A talent, a single talent, is 20 years' wages. 20 years for a single talent. 20 years' wages for a laborer. 10,000 was the largest number, the largest numerical unit in the Greek language then. It literally, 10,000 talents is the, like, it's probably the amount of money that would be totally in circulation at that point. 10,000 talents is this. Compare this to what happens later. 10,000 talents is 100 million denarii. A denarii was one day's labor. So in other words, how much money does this guy owe? The equivalent to how much he owes here would be 200,000 years of labor. How about that? You think Jesus is just like exaggerating and being like, oh, let's just throw this out there. No, actually, you know what he's doing? He is showing you and I what our debt really is before God. You could never pay him back. This is the worst possible sinner. It does make us ask the question, how rich must this master be? That this guy would owe him that much money. How much authority must this guy have that at the snap of his fingers, that guy's head could probably just be off? You see, this is, if you think about it, or if you have just this type of imagination, this, is, this guy's, he's got a godlike status. See, here's one thing we need to realize about sinning against God. Sinning against an infinite and eternal God merely once is a punishment that must be infinite and eternal. You feel that? It's 10,000 talents worth. You see, our debt, our sin debt to God is not merely just undesirable, inconvenient, unfortunate, ugly, or shaming, and even filthy, although those are all true. Our sin debt shows us that we have broken God's law. We've committed treason. We've polluted our souls that he made. We are guilty in his sight. It is something that only an eternal hell can be a just punishment for. And for you to say, well, even just that one time of me unnecessarily yelling at someone, that really can't be that bad. But, well, by that very logic, you would actually also already be breaking the first commandment, uh, realizing that, well, actually saying that God is not as holy as he really is. To say that it's not that bad is to actually break the second commandment as well to make God in your own image. We drink down iniquity like it's water. We fail to realize the gravity of sin. Matter of fact, the sin is so normal to us that it, it is like gravity holding us down. Have you realized what's holding you down in those seats right now? 
Think about your breathing. Isn't it weird when you think about your breathing and then you realize, oh, wow, this has been happening before this, and I hope I don't forget because maybe I'll stop breathing. It just happens. It's so natural, so normal to you. What about your blood pumping? What about your blinking eyes? What about your heart beating? Or what about the skin clothing your bodies? It's so normal that you forget about it. My friends, you and I do not realize how desperately evil we are. J. Gresham Machen says this, a low view of the law always produces legalism. A high view of God's law always makes someone seek after grace. My friends, do you want to grow in the Christian life? You actually need to know that the law crushes you. If you think that the law is like maybe just a really heavy bench press day and it's, it's hard but you can rep it out a couple of times, you have no idea the type of God you're dealing with. How bad is it for us? It's bad. How desperate are we? We're desperate. This guy, he's pleading with this guy. He's falling on his knees like you would do before someone of the highest royalty. He's pleading with them. Here's what's crazy. Do you think about this? This guy says, be patient with me. You want to ask the question, why? You will be dead before then. Be patient with me, he says. This guy has no idea what he's asking. You see, it is actually so crazy for us. He even says his proposal here is that I can pay you back. My friends, when we think that we can pay God back for his grace, is having no idea the debt that we owe. You were never meant to live the Christian life trying to pay God back. You were meant to live the Christian life by repenting of that idea. Do you hear that? You were never meant to live the Christian life saying, well, now that God saved me, I need to do everything I can to pay him back. No, 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 my friends. You live the Christian life by repenting of trying to pay God back. Because you can't. Maybe you're 20 years old and you've been sinning for 20 years because, well, we were born in sin. I know that sounds like such good news. It's been 20 years of you sinning nonstop. If you were to take 20 years to try to fix all that, well, you better be perfect for 20 years. But the reality is if you spent 20 years trying to fix 20 years of sin, you would just add on another 20 years of sin. You realize you can never fix it. You can never fix it. The Christian life is not a matter of paying God back. It's about repenting of trying to pay him back. This guy is crazy. But here's what happens. Verse 27, look at it. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him. He loosed him and forgave him his debt. Y'all, that is nuts when you realize how much 10,000 talents is. Can you imagine the master being like, hmm, I don't have some money right now. This guy owes me literally all the money in circulation. Could you imagine the ramifications of him canceling that debt? He does. He cancels the debt. He restores the relationship. Do you guys realize that God cancels a debt 
that you have that is so big, you don't even comprehend how big it is. He doesn't wait for you to comprehend how big it is. But when you come to Jesus Christ, he cancels all of it. Did you notice this as well? Were there any conditions tied to this forgiveness? Were there any conditions? You don't see a, well, if you go and do this, then you do, you'll get this. Or add these disciplines or add these habits to your life first, then I'll forgive you. Or I need you to feel really bad about this first and then I'll give it to you. I need to make sure you're really sorry. He doesn't do it. There are no conditions to God's grace but to believe on Jesus Christ. That's it. That's pretty scandalous. We don't like that because we feel out of control. We feel like, well, now so-and-so is not going to get what they deserve. No, they're not. You're right. But Christ got what they deserve. Forgiveness means we're not punished. You're not. Forgiveness means that our sins are not remembered. It means that they're blotted out. It means that they're erased totally from our record. It means that there is no more judgment. That there is, as Romans 8 and 1 says, there is no condemnation ever. Your sins in Christ are sufficiently atoned for. It means, this word for forgiveness means, that God is not going to disturb you for your sins anymore. That He's going to, as it were, I don't even know how this makes sense, but it'd be like, you know, a mistletoe that hangs over top. But I know that means like love and yada, yada, yada. But let's just say it'd be like a, a sinful, shameful mistletoe where he dangles it over your head and he says, now don't you dare forget this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't... Do like the carrot and the horse where he dangles your sin in front of you and he says, now you better go back and fix this. And the more and more you chase after that carrot trying to fix it, you know it never ends. He does not do that. He forgives it. Jesus Christ forgives us of our sins by taking them on himself. Do you realize the magnitude of that? Let's say, what is that? A, it's not a wee back there because Sarah was complaining about it. If it was a wee, um, whatever it is. GameCube, GameStop, that's a store. Switch, thank you. It's a Switch back there. What would, happen, what would happen if I do this? If I took that Switch and as I was walking out, I dropped it and it broke. There's two options. Either I pay or the owner pays. For the owner, is that you, Luke? Okay, Luke, I love you. Let's just say Luke is the most forgiving person in this room. There we go. For Luke to look at me and say, I forgive you, is for him to take the financial responsibility, even though I did it. When Jesus Christ says your sins are forgiven, he takes the responsibility for all of it. Is that not amazing? Guys, the sins that you can't forget are the sins that God can't remember. The sins that haunt you are the sins that God wants to heal you from. The sins that plague your conscience 
are the sins that God has propitiated in Christ. Amen? Some of us need to stop thinking we have higher standards than God. And we say, I can't forgive myself. My friend, who gave you that authority to forgive yourself? God has the authority. What do you think Jesus means in Matthew 28 when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So my friends, if Jesus Christ forgives you of your sins, you need no other word but his. That's incredible. In Christ, dear believer, from the word of God to you, in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Amen? Stop digging up your past. Stop living over and over in shame. Stop hounding yourself over and over with guilt when you brought it to Jesus Christ. Stop underestimating the sacrifice of Jesus. Stop neglecting the righteousness of Jesus given to you. Stop thinking that your future sins will somehow surprise God. Stop being so self-absorbed and look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is of infinite worth. And your sins, though they may be 10,000 talents, cannot compare to someone who is infinite. Do you see that? James Garfield was a, he was a lay preacher and principal of his denominational college in 1880, in 1880. He was elected to be president of the U.S. And obviously you remember he was uh, one of the shortest lived presidents after election. But after only six months in office, he was shot in the back with a revolver. Interestingly, he never lost consciousness. At the hospital, the doctor probed the wound with his little finger to seek the bullet and pull it out, but he couldn't find it. So he tried this other tool, but he still couldn't locate the bullet. They then took Andrew, uh, James Garfield back to Washington, D.C., and despite the summer heat, they tried to keep him comfortable, but he was growing very weak. Teams of doctors tried to locate the bullet, searching the wound over and over and over. And in desperation, they even called Alexander Graham Bell to see if he could locate the metal inside the president's body. He came, he sought, and he too failed. The president hung on through July, through August, but in September, he finally died. But listen to this. Not because of the wound, but because of infection. The repeated searching for the bullet, which the physicians thought would help the man, eventually killed him. So it is with those who keep trying to fix themselves and do not rest in the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, stop trying to fix yourself and start looking to Jesus Christ, who does a way better job than what you could ever do. We need to remember that the Christian life is like driving a car. If you're obsessed with looking in the rearview mirror to see what's happening back there, you're not going to drive very well. You need to look ahead because all your past, and by the way, your future is forgiven as well. The reason why it's hard to forgive people, and this is the big reason, it's because we forget how amazing God's forgiveness for us really is. Here's the second reason. It's hard to forgive people because we fail to understand how little in comparison others' sin is. You see that in verses 28 to 30. You see the servant, he goes out 
And he found one of his servants who owed him only a hundred denarii. A denarii is only a day's, uh, a day's wage. So it's just a hundred days versus 200,000 years. So he seized him. He began to choke him, to strangle him. He said, pay me what you owe. His fellow servant fell down. Now watch, watch the similarity between this guy and this servant from earlier. He fell down. He pleaded with him. He said, literally, verbatim, have patience with me and I will pay you. This guy could actually do it. If someone could actually fulfill what this what was just happening here, it's a second servant. You see, what God is not telling us is this. He's not saying that when people sin against you and me, that it's not that big of a deal. He's not saying just get over it. He's not saying it. He's saying sin is a big deal. But my forgiveness of you is an even bigger deal. My forgiveness of you is so amazing that it should overflow in you forgiving others even of great atrocities. John Plummer is a Methodist pastor who lives in a quiet town in Virginia. But in 1972, he was a helicopter pilot in the Vietnam War. During this time, John helped organize a napalm raid on the village of Trang Bang. Napalm can burn at over uh, 2,000 degrees. It burns longer than gasoline, and when it hits its target, it sticks to them. So when this strike on this village happened, there was a nine-year-old civilian by the name of Kim who was severely burned. Somehow she managed to survive, and actually there's a picture of this moment that's pretty horrific, and it became very famous And for 24 years, John Plummer had seen this picture and it haunted him of what he had done. All he wanted to do was to find this person and to tell her how sorry he was. For years, he found no peace. And that lack of peace resulted in him such tormenting himself that it destroyed his marriage and he began to drink his pain away. Then on Veterans Day in 1996... John met Kim at the Vietnam Memorial. Kim had come to Washington, D.C. to lay a wreath of peace, and John had come with some of the former pilots who were all searching for freedom from their past. Kim was giving a speech, and even though she was still suffering, even then, she was still suffering from the burns that had happened to her. And even though thousands of people in her village had died, even though people had lost body parts, and even though their entire lives were ruined, she said she was not bitter. She went on to forgive the men who bombed her village, but little did she know that one of them was actually in attendance there. John pushed his way during that speech. He pushed his way towards the front and identified himself as one of those pilots, you need to ask the question, what would Kim finally do when she was face-to-face with someone who actually did it? As John reported, Kim saw my grief, my pain, my sorrow. She held out her arms to me and embraced me. All I could say was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, over and over again. But at the same time, she kept saying, it's all right, I forgive you. Even the next day when they met up, Kim had reaffirmed her forgiveness for John. 
my friends, how much has God forgiven you? He has forgiven you for worse atrocities than what John did to Kim. And he has also forgiven you with a greater forgiveness than what Kim gave to John. One of my mentors, Patrick Curls, says this, Grace is meant to flow through us, not just to us. Grace is not, as it were, a lake where it just stops with you. It is a river where it flows elsewhere. Patrick Curls goes on to say, we can only forgive when we see ourselves as being big time forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift. People don't get forgiveness because they earn it. Forgiveness means not treating people on the basis of their behavior towards you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The problem with this guy, at least the second servant, is that he owes money, but he owes a much smaller amount of money Comparatively, it says that when this first servant that he went and found him, it's this word that is actually used as a summary of an action. In other words, it seems as if from the moment this first servant left the master, the summary of his actions from then on was that he was going to go find this guy who owed him money. It's interesting, this word for find is also the same word that is used in uh, gracious context. In other words, that someone found favor from someone else. But instead of the second servant finding favor, he found condemnation. A denarii, as I mentioned, is only a day's wage, and it is so crazy about how hypocritical this guy is. Now, I know this is very difficult to wrestle with because you've probably had people do some pretty horrible, horrible things to you. But when we hold grudges, that is hypocritical Christianity. When we, in appropriate settings, when we fail to move towards others, we're being hypocrites. Are you holding on to someone's past debt? Are you more ready to get back at someone or to restore someone. And if we are, then we are the type of person who wants there to be grace and forgiveness for us, but not for other people. You see, yes, there might be some pivotal times in your life when you have been greatly sinned against and sins in which the Lord hates and despises because God hates. He hates the wicked. He hates wicked deeds. But my friends, what Jesus Christ did is that he went to the cross and he became a wicked person. He became the wicked person. And God, in all of his omniscience, in all of his power, when he poured out his wrath upon Jesus Christ, it was so sufficient in God's eyes where he said, that, trust me, that is enough. Satan loves to get us to remember people's sins more than our Savior. That's why we often go on a sin hunt with people and we harbor grudges, we hold bitterness. There's a story about Corey Tim Boone who was told of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done to her. She had, 
She'd forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident and she couldn't sleep, as is often the case with us. Finally, Corey, she cried out to God for help in trying to put uh, the problem to rest. So she writes this. God's help came in the form of a kind Lutheran pastor to whom I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks. Here's what the pastor told her. Up in that church tower, uh, he said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by pulling on the rope. But you know what? After the person lets go of the rope, the bell keeps swinging, first ding, then dong, and slower and slower until there's a final ring and the bell bell stops. I believe the same thing is true about forgiveness. When we forgive, we take hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for so long, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming up for a while. They're just, as it were, the ding-dongs of this old bell slowing down. And for her, it proved to be true. There were a few more midnight uh, difficulties for her, but then finally it started to get better. They came less and less often, and at last stopped altogether. And as she writes, And so I discovered another secret of forgiveness. We can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. When we don't forgive people, we're saying that Jesus is not enough. When we don't forgive people, we're saying that they deserve my wrath because God's wrath was not enough. When we don't forgive people, we're saying that nothing is good for me and I need to feel satisfied. Here's what it does when we don't forgive people. The anger and bitterness of what happens to us in the long haul. That's what ends up destroying marriages It leads to overbearing parenting. It leads to us just always being harsh or living life with a chip on our shoulder. We always go on a sin hunt or we're very critical. Our friends keep pulling away from us because they see how toxic we are. It divides churches, creates road rage. It's what uh, very much influences abuse. We can be always irritable. We can be nonstop bickering with others. We can be always wanting to get under someone's skin or we're just very argumentative or very judgmental or we're just absorbed in thinking about the past. And it's typically in these situations when someone is so angry and bitter that no matter what someone else says, they will not listen. Here's what one person says. It may be infinitely worse to refuse to forgive than to murder. Because murder may be an impulse of a moment of heat, whereas refusing to forgive is a cold and deliberate choice of the heart. So one of the reasons why we fail to forgive. Here's the third reason why we fail to forgive. We fail to understand what failing to forgive actually does to us in the end. You see this in the third scene. The original servant goes back to the master and They have heard about what he had done. In verse 32, he calls him. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? His fellow servants see this atrocity and they tell the original master. And the master takes back his mercy and forgiveness. Here's not what's happening. This guy did not lose. Jesus is not saying you can lose your salvation. He's not saying that. 
A Christian cannot lose their salvation. What Jesus is painting the picture of here is this, that if you never respond to the free offer of the gospel that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, then eventually he takes away those offerings. At some point, God will settle the account of you and me. And right here, right now, you're hearing him speak the gospel to you saying there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But if you don't embrace that, the hard part. You see, actually, we even as believers, we still need God's grace for us not being able to perfectly forgive others. We just keep running to him again and again and again. He calls him, he says, you're a wicked servant. He reminds him of what he's done for him and he gives the accusation. He's saying, look, you did not respond appropriately. And he throws him in jail and interestingly, when it says there in verse 34, the jailers, maybe you have a footnote there because it literally means torturers. It is interesting that this servant just tried to torture someone who owed him a smaller amount. And then he actually gets what he tried to give. It is interesting, unfortunately, that a life of rejecting God's forgiveness and a life of failing to forgive others results in a burning because even before then when we fail to embrace God's forgiveness for us in Jesus Christ and when we fail to forgive other people even in this life we will feel the burning on our conscience you might say this sounds too harsh but do you realize that the punishment fits the crime Sin seeks to murder God, distort His image, to un-God Him. It is treacherous. It is perverse. Sin wishes that God were tortured and that it wishes to see that God was wrong and that we are right. Sin wishes that God took the punishment and that we are rewarded for following our own evil desires. Our sinfulness is completely unjust. It is unrighteous. It is unlovely. It is ungodly. It is the most despicable of all things in any realm of creation. The wages of sin is death. And when we reject the free offer of the gospel, it is atrocious. But don't you see actually where the gospel comes in? Because where we were unforgiving, Jesus Christ was forgiving. Do you not see God's radical nature of his love for you and that he sent his son to be tortured on the cross for you? Do you see that? Do you not see how long-suffering and patient that God has been with us? Do you not see that he loves you amidst and despite your sin? He chose you, even before time began, He chose you in Christ just because He decided to. It's not because you earned it or you were better than someone. See guys, God can love you not because of you, but He loves you because He decides to love you. And the love with which He loves you, He loves you with an unchanging, infinite, persevering, forgiving love for you. There's nothing in your life that he has not anticipated. 
No sin has surprised him. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. Because Jesus Christ is infinite. That's amazing grace. There's a story of an employee who was invited over to her boss's home. When she was there, she accidentally knocked over this egg-shaped declaration. Decoration. She knocked it over to the floor and it shattered. And it was clearly really nice, but she didn't realize how nice this thing was. And instead of getting really upset, her boss freely forgave her. But here's what makes this very stunning, actually, is that this egg-shaped decoration was a, if I can say this right, a Fabergé egg. There's only 69 of these that were created, of which 57 have survived today. These eggs are worth tens of millions of dollars each. You know what makes this amazing? The more she realized the value of her forgiveness, the more she would see the value of her boss. The more she saw the value of her forgiveness, the more she would see how horrific her sin is. But not merely that, but she would see how gracious her boss is. And the more she was able to see the value of this forgiveness, the more she would be able to forgive others of a lesser debt. My friends, if you're going to forgive people of atrocities done for you, you need to see how much your debt is to God. And in Jesus Christ, it's forgiven. That's the gospel. Father, we're asking that in your mercy that you would continue again this week to preach your good news to us. Change us by the word. Change us by the spirit. We ask all this in his name. Amen.